Psalm 130. Uh, how many authors were there of the Psalms of Degrees, those 15 Psalms, do you remember? Three is correct. Can you name them? And Solomon. Very good. All three good. Uh, there are 15. And do you know what numbers they start with? Which is the first one? Mm, 120. Through 134. Very good. Remember, Urs. Uh, the two main problems Hezekiah faced. Okay, that would be the third one. I'll give you a third. I wasn't thinking of that one, but yes, that would be a problem. Yes, Sennacherib was one, yes. It involved a plaster or a, a mud pie or something he put on it. He, a bowl. He was sick. He was sick. Nearly died. As a matter of fact, he said, put your house in order, you're going to die. And that was a problem. And then also Sennacherib was the other two problems, that other problem. Uh, he had an ungodly father. Do you know who that was? Very good. And what was his ungodly son? Manasseh. And the army that was threatened, army that was threatened, what's the name of the country that was threatening Hezekiah? It was Assyria. It was Assyria. Well, very good. All right, here we go. And we talk about personal experience. Let's read the psalm first. The most important part is God's word. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear the, my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? That's the title of tonight's message. Who shall stand? Lesson. And there is, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That real, I like what the, a man said about that last verse. I don't, if I don't want to miss it, so I, he said that that is the word painting of man restored and paradise regained. That last verse, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Last time we looked at the personal experience, the psalmist was depressed in one and two. There was a desperate condition, and we're going right to number two. There's a despairing cry, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And so we find question number one, was Hezekiah a godly king? Yes. Next to David, uh, he was in a par with David, really. Uh, he was a very godly king. Uh, Lord, hear the voice of my prayer. I like what Spurgeon says. It is better for our prayer to be heard than answered. If the Lord were to make an absolute promise to answer all our requests, it might be rather a curse than a blessing, for it would be casting the responsibility of our lives on ourselves. And we should be placed in a very anxious position. But now if the Lord hears our desires, and that is enough, we only wish him then to grant if his infinite wisdom sees that it would be for our good and for his glory. Think about that. If the Lord answered every single prayer, just like we prayed them, wouldn't we be up? We'd be up. We would be a terrible place. We would be. Hezekiah did what it was there, noble, and every soul does, and some souls do in their generations, and he became a mediator. He stepped in the gap for Israel. Oh, or Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. 
And so we find that he took up that role. Though the psalmist was under a painful sense of sin, and so was the depth, his faith, faith pleaded in this constant feeling of unworthiness. Lord, hear my voice. Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquities, who shall stand? And your outline there under number two, a despairing cry. Israel could not find or have found a better intercessor in later years. It did not know this, but in later years, the rabbis made such so much of King Hezekiah, the famous, famous Rabbi Halil, who flourished just before the coming of Christ, was so enraptured with Hezekiah that he said these words, Israel shall have no more Messiahs, for they had him in the days of Hezekiah. And so Rabbi Halil really thought that Hezekiah was an outstanding king, and he was. He even put him, now he was, that was an erroneous statement, but Hezekiah was a godly king. I'm looking at just for a moment, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3, 2 Kings 18, 3. And in case you're wondering, uh, is that a correct estimation of Hezekiah? Well, that's what the Bible says. And he, 18, 3 of 2 Kings, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it Nehushtan uh, and then he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses he was an outstanding again only David would be eclipsed in righteousness if you'd call uh, than, than, than Hezekiah so his estimation, Halil was erroneous regarding him being the Messiah. He was not the Messiah, but certainly a good mediator. In your outline, it says there for us, he pleaded with, with God as Moses had done. In the very first year of Hezekiah's reign, he repaired and reopened the doors of the temple. He reassembled or assembled the priests and Levites, charging them to clean up and get rid of the filth that disgraced it. So much rubbish had accumulated in the temple, he took nearly priestly clan two whole weeks, you find that in Second Chronicles 29, just to cart it out. Then Hezekiah had restored the temple worship, reinstating the long-time neglected sacrifices, etc., etc. Hezekiah did a great thing. It was done suddenly in Second Chronicles 29, 36. He did, he, God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. He, he was a great man of God, and yet, as you well know, they slip back. By the time Manasseh comes, he's like the worst king almost ever of Judah. And so they did not, it lasted for a time, but there was not true inward turning. And eventually Judah was carried into captivity. So the psalmist is depressed. Secondly, the psalmist is defiled in verse 3. We find these words, If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Terribly conscious of his own sin. It reminds us of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, when he talks about the people there in captivity, he lumps himself in with them. Although Daniel was the one who was praying three times a day, as he should have been, there is the sad fact. Question number two, how many sins make one a sinner? Just one. James says if we keep the whole law, yet offend, offend in just one point, we are guilty of what? It all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We find that, and so we hope to, uh, what we hope we have if we God, what we hope do we have if God were to make every single sin and call us into account and punish us for every single sin, which what we deserve, the word mark there means to watch, to observe with strictest diligence, and therefore, and the, the noun rendered a watchtower. It's like a man's on top of a tower, and he's 
given the responsibility to watch everything that's going on. It's like I just saw a couple of days ago, there was a hawk. There's they're trying they're trying to sell that field right by the uh, right, right where I live there. There's the Liberty Storage and there's this long field and they've got a they're trying to sell it and there was a hawk though and he you know what the hawks do when they're on the line they're looking for it's like the cat there was a black cat on the other side they're waiting for a, a mouse so like a pounce and they're they're watching any little movement and then shoom, down they go. I hope the cat doesn't get over there where the hawk is because the hawk might want the cat. I don't know. I hope the cat is going. Hope the cat's big enough he wouldn't want to attack that. But anyway, who shall stand? And secondly, the word mark means to keep in mind, to lay up, to have, as it were, a store and stock, a memorial or a record. If God treasures up all of our sins and remembers them, all right. Timothy, right, here we go. Boom. No, he doesn't do that. He's put them behind his back. They're in the depths of the deepest sea. He remembers them no more. If he would do that, who shall stand? And the obvious answer is no one would stand. There's no possibility of escape from the deserved condemnation. The evidence against us is clear and copious and overwhelming. A thousandth part of it is sufficient to determine our doom, someone said. The judge has no alternative but to pronounce the awful sentence, you must die a felon's death. And that is what's been sentenced against us. Except we have an answer, and the answer is Christ. He died that we might have redeemed. We might have forgiveness. Our iniquities are, are, are sort of like an unequal thing, fitting nothing. They're disarranging everything. Sin is Sin is abounding. In our, in our land, I just over and over, if you listen to the news at all, it's like every day there's something new. It's like some new ideology or some new thing and it's promoting. We just It seems like the whole world's going uh, the wrong direction when it comes to morality, etc. Sin is called iniquity. As the prayer book version expresses the same idea, a thing amiss, missing the proper mark. In your outline, bottom of two, the problem even with confessing sin is that we do not remember all our sins. Our hearts are corrupted. Our minds are confused. We are indulgent of our sins. We do not understand at times what constitutes even sin. Still less can we properly confess all of our sins. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. If you know exactly what it is, say it out loud. But there's some you just need, Lord, omission, commission. We need to, Lord, confess all my sin to you. A sad fact. Top of three, the sure forgiveness. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Isn't that wonderful? The forgiveness with thee. The fear of the Lord. It was not a slavish fear, but a reverential awe and trust. It included a hatred of evil. Praise God, he does forgive sin, does he not? Sin has been forgiven at the point of guilt. If I sin against my wife, I need to put it right with my wife. If I sin against my neighbor, put it against right with my neighbor. But no man asks forgiveness of his wife or something he did at work or vice versa. Above all, we have sinned against God. When, when David confessed his sin, he said, I confess it to you. And, and Psalm 51, just read that. He's confessing his sin to God. That at the point of guilt is we have sinned against the holy God. The sin offering in the Bible times, Old Testament times, uh, was for the principle is I, I'm uh, is for the principle of sin. It's a sin offering. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. That's what I am. I do what I do because I am what I am. The trespass offering deals with the practical sin, etc. Put him right with people, putting themselves right with God. It's interesting. G. Campbell Morgan went to the. During the Welsh revival, he went over to the Welsh, uh, to, is that uh, 
Wales, I'm sorry, went over to Wales to see the Welsh revival. And there was a gentleman trying to put this verse into English, this verse 4, and he struggled. And finally he said it this way, O Lord, we thank thee that there is forgiveness with thee enough to frighten us. And that is it. Sin should frighten us. The sinner should be afraid that God's going to call him and punish him. And the saint, afraid that he might sin again. It should frighten us. Sin. Forgiveness, and no man truly, no man more truly loves God, someone says, than he who is most fearful to offend him. Hast thou never beheld a condemned prisoner dissolved in tears upon the unexpected and unmerited receipt of a pardon? Who all the time before was as hard as a flint? The hammer of the law may break the icy heart of man with terrors and horrors, and yet it may remain I still unchanged. But when the fire of love kindly thawed its ice, it is changed and dissolved into water, and it is no longer ice, but of another nature. An- another nature. That's what it is. And so love conquers a multitude of sins. We, some, uh, someone might have said that. Uh, but love, the Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. And love conquers so much where pride and anger does not succeed. Robert Bullock said this, What is the chief thing that moved the prodigal to return home to his father? Was it chiefly the distress, the disgrace and poverty wherein he was burdened, or the famine that almost caused him to starve? No. But the chief thing was this, he remembered that he had a loving father that maketh him to resolve with a humble confession to go home. That's what it was. It wasn't, it's the, the love of his father drew the prodigal home. The psalmist is depressed, he's defiled, and he's determined in verse 5, a spiritual exercise, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. He was praying, he was waiting, he was watching, but God is never in a hurry. It's interesting, just tonight, uh, after trying to get here and leaving, and get, finally get, going to get to church on time, pulling off 23 and getting on Route 2 was, I don't know, a driver, but is he used to Route 2? I don't think he was. And he was slowing, and my wife had the audacity to say to the pastor, what about this person going to church? Do you want them to go all the way to church and make you late? Oh, my goodness, what a question to ask on the way to church. And so I'm already going slow, and if they go to church, I know I'll be late. And so anyway, they turned off before we got, just after 3.37, they turned off anyway. God's not in a hurry. We want things hurried up, but God is working in minds of eternity. What's the most important? A, a, a dead battery? Not, not, not much really in regard to eternity. Living a Christian life, far more important to hold your, maintain your Christian testimony than it is to get your battery fixed just exactly at the right moment you want it done. James Vaughn said these words in your witnessings, in, in your outline, in your waitings, remember two things in your waitings. Let it not be so much the event which you wait for as the Lord of the event and the Lord in the event. And take care that you have a promise underneath you. In his word do I hope, else waiting will be too much for you, and after all it may be in vain. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. He wants us to wait on him. He is not in a hurry. He lives outside of time. There's a Moody Bible Institute film called Time and Eternity, and and they're able to take 
tricks with cameras and they can you can watch a flower open up and you've seen it before and you'll see it lots of times they'll do like a whole like on a city street and they'll do a whole night overnight it goes in the morning in like two or three seconds that's the whole idea and like you take for like a, a uh, perhaps a stadium, a football game, and they fill up the stadium, and and then they and, and one minute they come in, they eat their hot dogs, and they go out, and it's all empty. Like in one minute, aren't you glad that our lives are not that fast? God gives us time. What a blessing that God has slowed it down to a day at a time. We want to speed it up, and God makes us wait. Our, our lives are so short as they are, are they not? And yet we're trying, we're trying to speed through them and, and get through them. Maybe you're not. I, I, sometimes we get such a hurry. I get in such a hurry. God wants us to trust in him and wait. There's a spiritual exercise and there's a splendid expectation. And six, my soul waited for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. When we take it as watching against against a danger in your outline, against an coming evil, it will hear that interpretation, but it is it will bear that interpretation, but it is a far higher and far better and more filial or dutiful thing to watch for a coming good than to watch against an approaching evil. It was interesting in 1830, on the night preceding the August the first, 1830, in the days of the slaves of the West Indian colonies. They were to take possession of freedom that very morning. On that night, the author says, there were thousands, yea, tens of thousands in their church worshiping. And what they did, they sent people, some of their uh, brethren, up to the tops of the local mountain to see when that first peak of sunrise would come through and make a signal, we are free. We are free. That's the idea. I watch it more, as the, and then more than the sun in the morning. It's like the priest who what, they had 24 courses. So only one month of every two years did your course go through. And you may perhaps only offer the morning sacrifice one time in your life. Can you imagine this is your time? Tomorrow morning is your time. And you probably don't sleep at night. Do I have, is my knife sharp? Is it going to be cooperative, the lamb? Do I, do I cut it just right? Am I going to catch the blood right? Because everybody, or the priests are going to be watching. The king might be watching. Wow, I'm waiting for that morning light. Waiting, watching for my time. And that's the idea. He's waiting for more than that. It's like the spouse waiting for the arrival of her beloved or, or the psalmist waiting for the Lord. Deliverance, yes, he wanted that, but so much more, he wanted the Lord. Fanny Crosby, oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come. And on our parting at the river, I recall to the sweet vales of Eden, they will sing my welcome home. But I long to meet my Savior, first of all. And that for a lady who wrote, it was thousands of poems, blind from as a child, long to see, meet my Savior, see my Savior, first of all. Finally, there's the public exhortation at verse 7. There is hope in the Lord. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Question 3, then, we talked about it already. Who was threatening Israel from the north? And that was Assyria, Sennacherib, Rabshakeh, his mouthpiece. And they're coming and taunting Israel. And I think it was Hezekiah that put, this is what we have going on, Lord. And Lord, please answer. And Sennacherib got his comeuppance. Now, he didn't die specifically at that time he went home, was killed worshiping his own God by his sons. 
But the Syrian threatening disaster from the north was an imperative that Israel keep her eye on the Lord. The northern kingdom had perished for trusting in idols. We in America, I think we're looking at thousands of different things to look for a direction. I tell you, there's but one. It is God. And we need to, as a nation, as a people, as a church, it is God's our hope, not some clever words or ideology or whatever else. It is God. And so when we're praying for our nation, I trust you. I know you're praying to God, but he's the answer. He is the answer. So there's help, hope in the Lord. And finally, there's help in the Lord. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Again, the psalmist points his finger unerringly at the sore spot, the source of the nation's woes. Why had the northern kingdom gone into captivity just recently? Worshiping idols. Would the southern kingdom learn? No, they're going to do the very same thing. Five, 586 finally crushed by Nebuchadnezzar and the temple destroyed and they go into captivity for 70 years. So the psalm anticipates Israel's perils during the, even the great tribulation. It says there, the Lord shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. One day, Israel is finally at the end of the seven years, the last week of Daniel's 70th, 70 years of prophecy or 490 years, 70 weeks of years. They're going to finally say, we trust in the Lord. He shall redeem Israel from all iniquities. They will look on him whom they have pierced. I just saw, I was, for some reason I was on watching YouTube and as an advertisement came along, I was listening to music. I know there's some beautiful songs I found on YouTube. Uh, anyway, and had these Jewish people, I can't remember the organization, but they were certainly Jews who had trusted Christ as personal Savior. And they said, listen, we're told from the get-go, from the very young, you know, Jesus is not the Messiah. We have learned to trust in him. I thought, what a wonderful thing, these Jewish people who have trusted Christ as the Messiah. But they as a nation have not yet, as you well know, but one day they will. What a graceful and appropriate in your outline conclusion to this course, uh, comprehensive and instructive psalm. Like the sun, it dawns veiled in a cloud, but it sets bathed in splendor. It opens the soul depth. It closes with the soul height. Redemption from all iniquity. It baffles the most descriptive language and distances the highest measurement. The most vivid imagination faints in conceiving it. The most glowing image fails in portraying it. And faith droops her wing in the bold attempt to scale its summit. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. They don't write like that very much anymore, do people? They don't. In the past, we were not so encumbered with so many things, and I'm not boohoo at all the different things we have encumbering us, but I'm telling you, they were able. Why was it? I was just read Epoch Times on Tuesday this week. Bach said, I play the notes, but God makes the music. Everything he wrote to the glory of God, to the glory of God. And he, he was a six, eight, 1685 to 1750. Somewhere in there. And he wrote, that should be our lives. Everything we do, allow God to, to indwell us and use us for his glory. Man restored, paradise regained. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the songs of degrees. For King Hezekiah's ministry to us even now in year 2022. Thank you for David's part, for Solomon's part in these 15 psalms.
Thank you for the saving his life. You 15 more years. Thank you for his conservative and returning to Jehovah leading of Israel. Lord, may our country return to you. Lord, in, in my own negativity and own unbelief, I think we've gone so far, how can we can ever close the rally it back in? But Lord, you can do the impossible. I pray that you bring revival to our churches, first of all. It starts with us. And may it spill out into our nation. May we clearly show forth your love and truth to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.